In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 5. God lays much of the responsibility for the infidelity of the people at the feet of both priest and prince. When the political and spiritual leaders worship false idols and they abandon the way of the Lord, well, the people are certain to follow. Good morning and blessed Lenten tide. Today is Friday, March 10th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is sponsored in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They assist congregations and missionaries in spreading the good news of Jesus through Lutheran materials translated into foreign languages. Visit lhfmissions.org to discover how they can support you in spreading the gospel and also to explore all their range of offerings. That's lhfmissions.org. Well, folks, without really any further ado, let's jump into it. Please join me in welcoming my guest this morning to guide us in our discussion of Hosea chapter 5, the Reverend Nabil Noor, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota, and fourth vice president of the LCMS. Good morning, Pastor Noor. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Um, this is Pastor David Boyce Clare. I guess we oh. might have got our signals crossed here. <laughs> I think we did. Well, you know what, Pastor Boyce Claire, I am just as happy to see hear you as anybody else. <laughs> well, Pastor Boyce Claire, um, I don't have it on hand. Remind the people where you're serving while I uh, fix all my notes for the rest of the program. <laughs> Certainly, um, I am um, pastor of Bethesda and Faith Lutheran churches in uh, North St. Louis area. I'm circuit visitor for the uh, Overland Circuit for the Missouri District, uh, Circuit uh, 22, and at present I'm serving as vacancy pastor for the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Overland, Missouri, and I've been serving in that position since uh, January 1, and um, uh, basically uh, we're, we're really working hard here to spread the good news of Christ and, and celebrate uh, this Lenten season. So um, it, it's, it's a joy to talk about a, uh, a basic, a beautiful book from Scripture, uh, which, which is from the older uh, prophetic, uh, the, the latter prophets, the older, and one of the older prophets, and and dealing with uh, you know the uh, uh, the joys and and the, and also the defeats of God's people, uh, His Old Testament people in in the Northern Kingdom of Israel. Well, absolutely. I mean, Hosea has been an interesting text, and I, you know, I joked a little bit when we first began the text by saying, you know, it has this very. I guess straightforward, what we might consider crude description of the people of Israel as being unfaithful. Uh, our translations will usually use like, you know, whoredom or harlot, and these are awful things to call people that you love. And here we have God using that descriptor for the people he loved, but it emphasizes so deeply the pain and sin that is involved when we are unfaithful to a God who loves us so much. Uh, but I think we can be a little bashful when reading it. So it, it, it is an interesting text. And of course, it involves Hosea, who had to live out in a very practical way this infidelity so that he could understand God's point of view. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's important that throughout uh, the prophetic writings, uh, as like, for instance, in Jeremiah, most assuredly, 
says that um, that the relationship between his people and himself through his covenant is like the relationship between a husband and a wife. And, and so you, you basically have there the teaching of the church as being the bride of Christ. And, um, you know, when and when uh, the the Lord, through his prophet, through the ministers of the word of the Old Testament, uh, preach the law, they, they get very, very um, uh, graphic and, and very, very brutal because the law is uh, the, the law kills. And, and so we can see, um, you know, the necessity of that when when uh, his people uh, uh, basically committed idolatry is sin against the first commandment they were committing adultery against their 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 god well absolutely i mean it, it's is really a a um hmm, how can i say like a cathartic a, a, just a real down-to-earth way of talking about something that we don't see a lot today we see it a lot in the reformers sermons we see it in in luther's sermon we see it written that way in the church fathers but in many ways we've we've softened our approach of just how um, just how connected we are supposed to be to our Lord, because I don't know why. I don't know. Do you have any reason why in these last days it seems like we're so uh, dancing around eggshells when we talk about these things that it uh, just seems like we don't really promote it or or proclaim it in a way that's as strong as say Hosea does here. Well, uh, let's let's say that uh, the devil has been having his way in in modern culture, and um, you know there there's sort of like a um, politically correct understanding of of uh, gender and and. Uh, uh, and, and then there, there is an increasingly among those who are they're said to be woke individuals that they, they really are threatened by Christianity, uh, which, uh, of course, proclaims a, a gracious God of love and an almighty and eternal God uh, who will hold us accountable for for our sins, but created us male and female and created us uh, for himself um, and and of course that's that's of course brought in by uh the prof by you know and through the centuries uh, since since Adam and Eve of course uh humanity uh, fell ho- most horribly and there was uh the the flood that was also there to uh remind them uh, of how they have fallen but then uh you know God through Abraham uh established a, a holy nation through which he would bring our Lord Jesus Christ as the as the Messiah Right, right. So it's so important that we reconnect with this. I'll tell you what, before we dig in any more, uh, why don't we um, why don't we start off with a little bit of prayer, and uh, then we'll get right back oh, into yeah. it. Gracious Heavenly Father, during this Lenten season, we are reminded of our shortcomings, that all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And pray that you would bring us to repentance by the power of your Holy Spirit, that while we can see that we must despair of ourselves, but trust in our Lord Jesus Christ alone for our righteousness and and salvation, deliverance in, 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 um, in the midst of a very um, hostile world which surrounds us. It's sort of like the world that uh, Israel faced in, in being uh, destroyed through the Assyrians. Grant that it may be always a reminder for us to be repentant and to turn 
uh, to in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ as as the only Savior, as the one who can cover our sinfulness uh, with His perfect righteousness, that we might um, be His for eternity. So guide us now as we study this precious prophet that you have sent to your people, Hosea. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through Hosea. We've, we, we just started touching on the theme of chapter 5, but chapter 5 seems to be pretty much directed at the princes and the priests, is how I like to kind of put it, because it, it, it really focuses on either, as Luther believed, a particular cult that had arisen because of Israel's, I guess, appealing to Assyria and trying to charter some sort of protection from them, and they're trying to appeal to the Assyrian gods, or it's it, or and or it's just a general recognition that the leaders of the people, because of their unfaithfulness, the people that are the every common day folks are they're gonna they're gonna run into problems too. That they're looking for leadership, and when leaders are not uh, faithful, then it's hard to expect the people to be. Uh, but before we dig into each sort of verse by verse, um, maybe. I'd like to hear your opinion on that. You know, who is this chapter five directed at? Well, obviously, the the leaders. Uh, it, it, it's expected of of God's people that uh, the those who lead His people uh, politically and and also you might say ecclesiastically or in the church are are to be those who are faithful to the true God, and and uh, you had a lot of this type of. Um, uh, what we would call syncretism, where, where in a sense, as you said, that they were perhaps adopting Assyrian uh, religious cults. Uh, Nisroch, I know, is one of the gods of the Assyrian Sennacherib's god, the king, the king who uh, uh, basically invaded uh, Judah much later. Um, so, so very well be that 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 they were um, that that they had corrupted their. Uh, worship of the true God with, uh, you know, building golden calves in the case of Jeroboam or uh, Baal Milkart uh, from the Phoenicians through uh, King Ahab. And, um, and then, and then even now, so, so in other words, it's kind of, as, as the prophet says, you, you know, you are like a woman who is not faithful to her husband and, and you will uh, go to any, paramour or any lover that you possibly can uh, can find, um, you know, and, and, and in a sense, it could be like considered political um, uh, expediency for them to, uh, you know, adopt the religious customs of, of the other nations. They are sort of like between two great powers, the Egyptians to the south and the Assyrians to the north. And, and, and so they're saying, well, we just want to survive here. So we have got to adopt some of their religious practices. Well, let's read just the first two verses to get us started, because it's clear that he's addressing the priests and the household of the king. Um, but he's talking about some things that really we don't know exactly what's going on in these places, uh, but it's worth looking at. Here we go. Starting with chapter five, verse one. Hear this, O priests, pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you who have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, 
but I will discipline all of them. Now, I know that's barely touching the text here, but just at the very beginning, there's something going on at Mizpah and Tabor. I don't know that we really need to know what's going on specifically. It's enough to say that in these cities, they have been uh, doing something that's really, well, a snare, right? Tripping up the people. Uh, but I, I think it's exactly what you've been talking about. You know, they're probably giving into these uh, these. These idol practices, and not idol and IDLE, but idol practices of idols to appease maybe the 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 countries that they're trying to to up to get into. Uh, uh, oh, I've lost the words. Oh, they're trying to get like treaties with is what I'm trying to say, right? They're they're calling in the Assyrians to help them fight the battles to the north, uh, and we we're going to see later that the Assyrians are going to turn on them. But really, they're appealing to people who aren't don't have their best interest in heart. And I just wonder, with Hosea describing the people of Israel as being this deeply mired in sin, and the, and the religious leaders of their communities are are gone astray, the political leaders of their communities have gone astray. Uh, you know, why does why is this such an important message for not only the people of Hosea's time, but why might this be an important message for us? Well, it, 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 it obviously uh, shows forth the prophetic vision that uh, these two places are, are uh, pagan shrines, much in the same way as Bethel and Dan were made pagan shrines by King Jeroboam at the beginning of the, uh, after the uh, division of the kingdoms under Rehoboam in the south and, and Judah and, and Jeroboam in the north. And so uh, it, 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 it basically shows how the prophet is, is just indicating to the people, here are instances of, of your unfaithfulness. And as you said, uh, the, you know, here the leaders are uh, building these shrines and, and uh, prov- you know, not providing the type of spiritual leadership that they ought to do. And, and uh, as you said, they're, they're, they're basically, uh, you know, it, it, it basically says that the, the Israelites are, do not want to be a peculiar people, uh, you know, a people for God's own possession by their, uh, you know, committing idolatry. And we're just, you know, they could just say to the Assyrians, we're just like you. We have, we have our local gods, the Baals or the Asherim or, the, or uh, any of the other assorted deities that they, that they might worship. In this case, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you should, uh, we should coexist. Yeah, very apt term, because that's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, when we think of Christians today, our churches today, our Lutheran churches, I feel like sometimes we're just so afraid to be distinctly Lutheran, distinctly Christian, and that is distinct apart from the world. And there are so many churches today who want to give in to the world. Look, our idols, pardon me, our causes are the same ones as yours. We care about uh, diversity and equity and inclusion. We care about LGBTQ stuff and reproductive rights, so to speak. We care about all the things that the main culture cares about. So please join us. Please fill our pews. Please be a part of us. But what we, what those churches don't understand is that when they give in to these idols of the world and they make themselves indistinct from the world, then A, of course, they're not being faithful to God, but B, Practically speaking, they don't offer anything that the world doesn't offer, and frankly, for better. 
And so I feel like this is a sin that all a lot of churches are engaging in, but all churches feel tempted to engage in because, well, we, we want to be liked by the world, even though Jesus will promise us that the world will hate us because it first hated him. Exactly. And, and uh, see, the thing is here is uh, we're, we're accused by uh, the um, culture in the world that we are not accepting or loving of people, that we're, we, we, we sort of are hypo- hypocritical in, in um, you know, basically preaching against this evil. But uh, let, let us all remember that our God hates the sin and loves the sinner that uh, we most certainly would receive anyone into our fellowship who, uh, by the grace of God's Holy Spirit, repents of their sin. And we have, and, and our business as, as Christians, as Lutheran Christians, is to tell the truth to the world. You know, are we going to get truth from politicians? Are we going to get truth from economists? Or, or are we going to get truth from uh, even, even uh, the medical profession, uh, you know, with the COVID uh, uh, event, the disaster of COVID, um, and, and many other things? And, and there seems to be so much... Uh, so much uh, mis- misinformation or, or, or untruth that is told. You know, it, it, what they should do for every Lutheran church is put a sign in front, truth spoken here, much in the same way as you go to a foreign country and they'll say English spoken here. Well, in this dark world, we should have truth spoken here. Well, and and this is what I believe that Hosea, of course, God through Hosea, is getting at when he indicts the priests and the politicians, so to speak, the princes and the priests. He's saying that if both of you are astray, you're the ones who are tripping up the people. I think of folks, Christians, people who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus who are in these congregations who've given in to every whim of the culture. It's like, how do these people have any any hope of, of, of hearing the truth. And I like how you put it when we say, you know, we're welcoming all people. And that is so true, right? Jesus takes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us there to add another uh, cliche to the list, but it is so true. We welcome people into our churches because they are poor, miserable sinners in need of salvation, just like everybody else. We don't want to welcome you know, well, 25% of this particular uh, demographic and 30% of this demographic, and we want to make sure we have at least 10% of this demographic. And we don't do that because we don't it's, – it's sinful, I think, to, to compartmentalize people into these demographics. While at the same time, I've literally heard from people who are um, politically powerful in this country that for us to say that you're born sinful is a tantamount to child abuse. It's abusive to your child to tell them that they need to be saved because, well, that's the ultimate sin is to not accept yourself as you are and indulge in whatever uh, whatever proclivities you might want to indulge in. Well, I, I would really have to say, uh, because this is, this is something the church has to speak out, this uh, gender reassignment surgery and, and uh, medication that's being done to uh, young children— in, in our society, it shows the hypocrisy of, of 
of folks like that accusing us of being of, of committing child abuse. Obviously, child abuse is a terrible scourge that, uh, you know, the church has to face and, and do everything that it can to, uh, you know, make sure that that does not happen. The children must be protected. But how are they protected by those who have no concept of of the different as God created man and woman, any concept of that uh, difference that there is? And so it's so hypocritical for this uh, the this society to to accuse the church of child abuse by just simply preaching the law and the gospel. Yeah, and I agree, of course. You know, in, Unless you think, folks at home, that we've gotten away from the text, we haven't because many abusive ideas and situations are going on in the name of these false gods in Israel, all for the sake of them wanting to be, as our guest said, you know, like the other nations and, and receive, of course, from them you know, their help. I'm going to read verses thir- 3 and 4 because it gets into the spirit of what's going on. Here we go. God says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they do not know Yahweh. So this is what I was getting at earlier with verse 4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. I think that Satan, both then and now, one of the accusations that he instills deep within the heart of people is that you are too far gone, right? And, and, and if God gets upset up as the enemy or God's true teaching gets set up as, as the ultimate heresy according to the, uh, you know, the faith practices of the world, then you never want to return to that because then you'll be what you've learned to hate, and that is the so-called intolerant people or the backwards people or the old-fashioned people, or the non-progressive people. So yeah, you, you see that both going on here within this tribe of God's people, and you see it going on today. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. And it's not because God won't welcome them back, but because of the spirit of, I'll say, infidelity that is within them. Oh, exactly. And and um, the, the ultimate punishment that God can visit upon the world is giving them up to, to their unrighteousness, to their infidelity, and 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 that that's something that should cause any any um, righteous or or um, reverent individual in the world to 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 shake in their boots because if God uh, abandons people to to their unrighteousness and their evil, then then uh, then many people will suffer as a result. Let's add a few more verses, verses 5 through 7. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek Yahweh, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with Yahweh, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Lots to talk about in that section, but I, I, at some point, I'd love to hear what you have to say about alien children. Right? This isn't uh, this isn't ancient alien stuff here. Alien children means people what uh, born without knowing God, uh, separated from God. Uh, how do we see what he's what he's communicating here? 
Well, it, 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 it's kind of like true for our own day that, um, you know, I, I, I spoke with a, um, uh, the uh, director of the preschool, and, and she told me that uh, in her experience with the children that, that, that are coming into the preschool, they're the ones in charge in the household, not the parents, that the parents do not uh, mentor their children, that they don't control their households. And, and uh, in a sense, you have, you have children that are, do not have any direction or any, um, in, in a sense, it's almost like, you know, you can say to, to children like this, well, I don't know what, what type of children you are, you know, in, in, this, in other words, and like the word alien means of someone else, that uh, they, they, they are not uh, children of God, but rather children of the world, children of uh, false gods. Or, or just uh, not the children that uh, we we had hoped and prayed for. Yeah, that's that is so sad. You know, when the when the children are are the ones who are in charge in the household, it's the parent desiring once again to be liked by the child beyond all things and above all things, without consideration for what's best for them. I mean, thankfully, our Lord is not like that, which is why we have this threat of judgment. So Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. That's Ephraim, folks at home being, that's just sort of a general name used for Israel. And then Judah is going to be added with them. So it's not just the one kingdom, it's both. And with their flocks and their herds, they shall go and seek Yahweh, but they won't find him. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, with this, with their flocks, uh, they're, they're taking them out there. Is, will they not find him? I mean, it says because he is withdrawn from them, but they won't find them because they're not looking in the right places also. I mean, obviously, God says, if you come to me with false worship, you're not going to find me there. He's withdrawn. But there's also it's not like the, the, the focus isn't on God's withdrawing, in my opinion, so much as it is on the people who aren't worshiping rightly. So why should they expect that God is going to hang around if they're coming to him with these uh, lawless idols? Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting uh, that um, in uh, the uh, Osborne play about Martin Luther, that they, he quotes Luther at times. Luther says to God, are you dead? You can't die. You can only hide yourself, can't you? And, and, and God's judgment upon his people is that he hides himself from them. And, and, and in, this particular, in this particular case, is, is it, you kind of can see, too, at what our Lord Jesus, uh, in quoting the prophets, says, you know, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so, in other words, if they have the idea that they can uh, bribe God by, by their offerings, I mean, a God does ask for offerings uh, given with uh, a, a heart which which is properly uh, uh, dedicated to God through the Holy Spirit. But uh, if they think that, uh, that by their sacrifices they can uh, bribe God and, and, and uh, get him to bless them, even though they are uh, unworthy of such blessings, then, then they've got uh, something terribly wrong. Right. They're going out. They're trying to worship him in these rote and I, I would say just systematic kind of ways. All right, I'll check all the boxes. I'll make all the sacrifices. I've done what I'm supposed to do. And yeah, God's mad now, but all I've got to do is slaughter a few cows and he'll be fine. And that's absolutely not only insulting to the Lord, but just flat out blasphemous to him. Exactly. And, 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 we see, and, and yes, 
I'm sorry. I was just gonna say we see. I was just gonna say we see that today when when people go, well, you know, I'll live however I want during the week because I just know that if I go on Sunday once a week or once a month or on Easter and Christmas, yeah, God will be fine. It's no big deal. Go ahead. Yeah, and 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 as I say, it's it's just. It, it, it's like people that are that are lost their way in the world. When 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 we or anyone goes astray from the true and eternal God, they're like uh, you know they're lost, abandoned children in the world, alien children, you might say. Right, and that's the last thing we want to be is aliens in a kingdom that rightfully belongs to all who have faith. Right, given given to them by God. Uh, for all who has faith. Folks, uh, we're going to take just a few minutes for a break here, but when we come back, Pastor Boys Claire and I will keep on going with Hosea chapter 5. We'll both see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boom. With me this morning is the Reverend David Boisclair. He's a pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Church, as I've combined it there, in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Uh, also, I just want to take this chance to let you know that as we delve deeper into the Word of God, I really do hope that you're finding our program enriching and enlightening. If you have any feedback or questions or thoughts, you can reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also connect with me on Facebook. And as always, you can catch Thy Strong Word by tuning in to the radio if you're in the St. Louis area by visiting kfuo.org to listen on demand. And if you're always on the move, kind of like I am, you can stay up to date by downloading the KFUO app. I use it in my truck. goes right into the Android Auto. Or you can subscribe to Thy Strong Word on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm just glad you're here, folks. So, Pastor Boys Claire, before the break, we were you know, trying to connect this to our daily lives today, because so often when we read the scriptures, really Old and New Testaments, it's interesting to think about Israel and Judah and the coming Assyrian, you know, invasion and all the fulfillment of prophecy and all that great stuff. But I think it's there's also this whiffum factor, uh, you know, what's in it for me factor. Like, well, how does this apply to us today? And it certainly talks about the sovereignty of God and calls us to be faithful and tells us that God keeps his promises and relents from disaster. All good things to learn. But sometimes these things are happening right in our own backyards. And I guess we kind of miss it. We think that idol worship is something that happened only in the past, while today I think idol worship is probably more prevalent than ever. 
Oh, absolutely, because um, <clears throat> as we're taught in catechism, that there is such a thing as gross idolatry. That's, that is, if we uh, set up a, a god of our own rivalry with our with uh, our tr- the true god, there is also what is called fine or, you know, more not not as as, uh, you know, like if you talk about uh, fine grains or, or coarse or, or gross grains, you know, those are like large lumps and fine are, 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 are almost you know like sand or, or there is fine idolatry. In other words, I, I put myself uh, as my God, I, I put my wisdom or my knowledge, I put my family, uh, um, you know, my my spouse sometimes uh, could be could be uh, an idol uh, against the Lord or or or, um, or basically um, wanting to be accepted by society. You know, that's that's uh, pretty much as the Lord says, you know, if you follow me, you're you know, and, and you see how they treated me, uh, you know, they're going to treat you the same way, because as St. John says, as uh, as he is, so are we in the world. And you mentioned family as an idol, your spouse as a possible idol, and it just is a good opportunity to say that even good and gracious and gifts from God in our lives, we can turn in to idols. Undoubtedly, the people of Israel, as they're making pacts with the Syrians, as they're probably building up idols in the name of Assyrian gods, they're thinking, Well, this is good. It's for a good reason, right? We have to consider national defense. We have to consider our the future of our children. We must protect them from the hordes of our enemies. So we're going to have to do these things so that, well, that they'll be taken care of. They're probably thinking about their families. But when you think about your family at the expense of God and you're not thinking about what God wants you to do or the way in which God wants you to raise your family, then that's a problem. And so we we definitely see this today as even the good things in our lives can become idols. So for those out there who think, oh, yeah, I can think of and I, I listed off a bunch of social issues at the top of the show, and those tend to be progressive social issues. But there are also issues on the conservative, the opposite end of the spectrum that become idols to people. You know, I've often heard people talk about things like um, uh against universal health care or protection of the borders or military spending or supporting police officers. And I think about all these things that they find valuable. And it's like, okay, listen, if you preached about and talked about Jesus is with as much passion as you do about these political issues, we wouldn't have to worry about as much of them at all. And, you know, and I don't want to step on any toes, but I just wonder, you know, do you agree with that sentiment? Oh, certainly. Uh, any, any, nothing should come before our God. Uh, even as the Apostle Paul says, we he always beats all. Uh, you know, he, he opposes every uh, proud thing in his own thinking, which which uh, exalts itself over over the true God, over the Lord Jesus Christ. And 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 really, it's always the best policy to put God first, because then God is the one. You know, as as my. Uh, my verse for confirmation is uh, Matthew six thirty three. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And and so uh, the idea is that yes, we we are to uh, love our families and cherish our families, help humanity. We are to fight evil and do that. But but it's only through uh, putting first things first. And that is uh, to worship the true God and and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ as our only Savior from sin. 
So we see here in the following verses that the infidelity is spreading, the judgment is spreading. So let's read verses 8 through 12. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at Beth Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. Well, I definitely want to get to God comparing himself to a moth and dry rot. But starting at the top, he says, blow the horn in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Um, and, and, of course, sound the alarm at Beth Aven, and we follow you, O Benjamin. Um, know much about that? Like, he, he's broadening this to include Judah, and now he's listing some places that are on the border between Ephraim and Judah, and then Benjamin. Is there some significance there that we should know about? Well, um, I think that that might tell us um, perhaps, uh, you know, basically where uh, Hosea is per- doing his ministry. Uh, it, it's in the south uh, part of uh, the nation of, of Israel, or the northern kingdom. And, um, you know, in, 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 in what's, what's interesting about all of this is, is just that, you know, he, he's touching base with all of these uh, specific locations uh, you know, so, you know, like, for instance, if, if people speak, uh, I'm, I'm from the St. Louis area, they'll speak about uh, the city of Pine Lawn or Overland, or uh, they'll speak about Clayton or, you know, something like that. And people are from in that uh, vicinity, they're going to uh, perk up their ears. And, and so obviously here, um, you know, there, there may, may be uh, those who speak up against some of the evil that goes on. You know, uh, you know in other words, pay attention to what's going on uh, around you and that, uh, you know, that, that this is the time for repentance. Yeah, it sounds to me like there could have been people maybe just across the border, too, who are thinking, oh, yeah, Israel is going to be in trouble. And then he's just like, oh, no, wait a minute. Not only is Israel in trouble, so are you, Judah. And then even Benjamin, which from my notes I understand, is uh, it lies in between Ephraim and Judah, and it's sort of a contested territory. It's sort of a Hong Kong or a Taiwan of this area. So there, there are people who are contesting it. So really, it's the people who belong to Israel. It's the people who belong to Judah. It's the people who nobody knows who they belong to, but you all belong to the Lord, and you all are going to suffer this judgment. Yes, I think I think that's a very good insight into that. Uh, you know, it's interesting that that, uh, they, that also the capital cities, Gibeah or Gibeah, was the capital city when King Saul was was king. Um, you know, Samaria um, and uh, Tirzah and, and um, Jerusalem, obviously, are other other um, points of of uh, you know notable cities or, or uh, you know capital cities uh, of the time, and and so. Um, in, in, and in a sense, too, the prophet uh, speaks about these areas, and, and then, of course, the idea is reaching the people that live in these areas. Absolutely. The princes of Judah, in verse 10, have become like those who move the landmark. Uh, that's an obscure phrase. When I looked it up, the, the context here was someone who's moving property lines around on their neighbor to try to get something out of them. 
Is that maybe the best way to look at it from your point of view? Do you see something else in there or or what? But yeah, that's definitely a, a bad guy, someone who's trying to defraud his neighbor. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's uh, it, it's even um, um, idiomatic in in our own day and age. They talk about move, moving the goalposts. Uh, oh. You know, in other words, like in in debate uh, with what is right and what is wrong, uh, where you have those who are your opponents that are they're changing the um, the issue and change. You know, by by uh, you know maybe uh, you know what is the what is the uh, the controverted issue that like in in our um, Lutheran confessions as if we look at our formula of Concord the one thing in each of the 12 articles that they do is they say well what are we arguing about here what is the uh, status contra- the status of the controversy um, and and uh, so so in a sense you know ha- you have people that are changing the subject or or, or um, uh, you know and, and, but uh, obviously God has set uh, the bounds uh, through his his law, through the Ten Commandments, and, and people are, are, are always willing to change that. You know, in a sense, it's like a boundary line. That is, the Ten Commandments are seen as God's way of protecting us uh, from the gross out, outbursts of sin in the world. And then you have people that are moving those, uh, goal, uh, those um, boundary lines in this way. And, and then, in a sense, encroaching, uh, you know, and, and basically not following God's will. Yeah, you're, you're replacing that with a, the more common moving the goalpost, at least common for today, is very apt because I think that helps me understand it more. It's more than just these guys are kind of, uh, you know, not very honest and they're, they fraud people, but really this is about the princes and that will throw in the priests too responsibility to proclaim the boundaries that God has set up according to his law. And when they move it around, well, the people don't know what to follow. They, they keep moving the goalposts, the standards that God's law has set. And that's why I think when he says his wrath is coming, he says upon them, I will pour out my wrath like water, water, is scary, especially when out of control. And water typically does not respect uh, boundaries. And so God's watery wrath, we also think of water as chaos. We think of water as as that which is um, that brings destruction and it's hard to control. Really only God can control it. Um, that, that, that certainly gives a frightening image. Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, it's ultimately our God is a God of order and a God of peace. And, and he, he wants what's best for people. God loves people. He wants to bring order and, and, and control, you know, so that so that his people can thrive or that people can thrive. He loves everyone. And, and it's interesting whenever you you move um, boundary stones or, or boundary lines, you are harming someone you you are defrauding them of, of something and and we by moving the boundary lines of of the 10 commandments we are we are actually uh, defrauding our god of what is of his glory and what is due him let's keep reading starting with verse 13 through now you know what through the end of the chapter which will be verse 15 when ephraim saw his sickness and judah his wound Then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, But he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. 
for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. So, okay, so I don't want to characterize, mischaracterize this, but I get this sort of, I don't know, just image of God saying, um, you're going to be under judgment. That judgment is going to include you, me not being with you in battle. And you're going to go to Assyria and you're going to ask Assyria to help because they're this great empire. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm nothing. I mean, so they're nothing compared to me, God says, right? I'm going to come and you're not going to be able to resist me. He's not going to be able to cure you or heal your wounds. Uh, so they're looking for help in the wrong places is the sense I get. Well, and, and God is saying it's not a matter of politics, is it? It's, it's a matter of your relationship with me. It, it, uh, it, you know, it's rather interesting that when Sennacherib uh, sent his Rabshakeh to uh, Jerusalem uh, under the reign of King Hezekiah sometime later, uh, that, uh, you know, when, when uh, you know, they say, you know, the king of Assyria is going to destroy you. And, and uh, you know, the, the prophet, uh, I believe it's Isaiah, uh, you know, says, you know, the, the virgin daughter of, of Zion uh, laughs at you. You know, you're, God is going to put his hooks, uh, you know, into the prods and the, and the chains that he controls, the, the, t the terrible beast of, of chaos, you might say, and, and pull you back to where you belong. And, and uh, so in, in this particular case is, you, you know, you, you think you, you know, it, you can kind of see it here. You, you think you're placating, uh, you're, you're, you're getting out of the trouble that you are in with Assyria or with other powers. But, uh, you know, you've got me to deal with. Uh, you know, you, you have, you have uh, turned your back upon me. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, it's sort of like our parents, you know, when they, when they're, when they tell us that we've done something wrong, they say, I'll give you something to, to uh, be afraid of. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you know, Ephraim, of course, is Israel and then Judah and, and they're sort of there. It says when he sees his sickness in Judah, his wound I guess what we're seeing here is kind of like um, kind of like Isaiah talks about in the same sort of language. You know, when when you're struck down and they rebel, he says in Isaiah one five, the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. It really describes, in my opinion, what it feels like when someone who has faith in God gets caught up in the sin of their lives. You know, so many people will think, well. You know, I, I, God, I, I, I don't know if God is still with me. And you tell them as a pastor, well, the fact that you're asking suggests that you care enough that God is with you, that you still believe in him. And thus, of course, he's still with you. In the same time, if you feel bad for your sins, that's a, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit's with you working in your heart. Your faith is there and that's good news. So there's something to be said here. If, if I you know, can be permit to read a little more into it, maybe than what is said. That the fact that they recognize at all that they are parted from God in their ways is the hope. It, it, they're doing the wrong things, but they're not so far gone that God doesn't still consider them worth calling back. 
Oh, exactly. And and when you know the the thing is is as 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 we apply what 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 you are doing uh, is is applying the word of God because because as the prophets the purpose of the prophets of course is to proclaim and apply God's word to His people. In this particular case, it's the the when the law shows us our sin and 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 uh, there is the as you mentioned there are the consequences of sin. You know. Uh, people are, don't realize sometimes that when they go against God and then we break his commandments, there there is a price to be paid. And of course, ultimately, our Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price by his death on the cross to take away all sins. So when, when, when we're hurting, you might say, when the law kind of has had its way with us, it, we should not turn to worldly uh, hope. Or, you know, and try to, you know, placate God with our righteousness or whatever, or turn to uh, powers in the world or the devil, uh, but rather turn to the God of mercy in our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, he says, I'll be like a lion to Ephraim. I'll be like a young lion to the house of Judah. I guess it stands out to me, and maybe there's not much of a difference, but... Why a lion to one and a young lion to other? Is this just poetic Hebrewisms or or is there some sort of distinction being made? Oh, I think there is, uh, because Judah, of course, is uh, still under the house of David. Uh, now, now, Judah was no angel, obviously, if you read Ezekiel, because he says that both of these, uh, you know, Israel and Judah are like uh, two sisters who are who were are, you know, have sinned against their, you know, their husbands. And uh, in the case of, of Judah, it's probably that you're not as bad as, as Israel is. And Judah was much smaller, obviously, than, than, than the 10 tribes of the north. And, 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 and if you look in, in sacred history, you see that every king of Israel was evil. But whereas there were some good and some bad in Judah. And so in a sense, um, you know, Judah, you're, you have also sinned grievously against me. But, you know, there, there is kind of like a, a, maybe just a little bit of, of uh, padding of, of that judgment by saying a young lion. Sure, sure. But the judgment is still severe for both. I think verse 15 is the most poignant when God is saying, I will return again to my place. That is not with them, but wherever God is. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. And the reason why this is this stands out to me is because uh, you brought up Ezekiel. It's very similar language here. It's because God does withdraw from us. You know, we think of Christ on the cross, and we think of, you know, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes that upon himself in our place. But there's a reality that if God will give us the desires of our heart, if we continue to rebel against him. And so he says, I'm going to go back home. I'm going home. And and then I'm going to be there, though, until and then there's sort of the gospel until. So he will he's willing to come back until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Isaiah 26, 16 says. O oh Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. So really, in many ways, this verse, Hosea 5.15, answers or addresses at least the question of, 
why do bad things happen to good people? And said one, because, you know, we're Lutherans. When I hear that question, I go, oh, well, I'm a Lutheran. We don't believe anybody's good. But, but the real answer is sometimes we are disciplined, especially if we start to become too self-reliant or we start seeking after our own idols and other gods. God lets us experience these bad things in life so that we will cling to him and seek him out. At least that's how I see it. Well, it, it isn't it as as St. Paul says, or, or as the prophet says, uh, it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Where can God be found but in his word of life in the gospel? Uh, you know, that, that God is, of course, uh, was at least at that time um, in, in Jerusalem, in the Holy Temple. Um, but in a sense, he is wherever he places his name, and, and he is in his word, and most especially in the word word of the gospel, uh, as you as you have shared. Um, and, and, and this is, in, in a sense, the, the God is disciplining us. If we are Christians, then we realize that if uh, bad things are allowed to happen in our lives, that, that uh, the, you know, God is actually being, is graciously disciplining us as a loving parent would. Well, and just to piggyback on what you're saying and amend my comment just a little bit based on yours, when he says, I will re- again return to my place, the gospel there is that he's told us exactly where his place is. You know, I said wherever God goes, but that's a little imprecise. I should have said his place being where he promises to meet us. And as you said, it would have been in the right places of worship during this time, and it's in the right places of worship during our time in the word and sacrament. So when God withdraws from you, or you, I should say you feel like God has withdrawn from you, or things getting tough— you know where to find God. He's in this place, in the Word and Sacrament. And, that, and that's so comforting. You know, he's, he says, I'm there for you. I'm waiting for you. You know, yeah. and obviously that the fact that we turn to him or we go to him is, is totally by the grace of God's Holy Spirit. So we should always rejoice in, in our own time, wherever we see the name of Jesus uh, proclaimed, uh, when, when, you know, anytime anyone drives down the highway and, and sees a uh, billboard that has the name of Jesus on it or some passage of Scripture, be thankful, uh, because that's, that's in the way that the, the Holy Spirit is at work in our, in our lives in this, in this day and age. Amen, brother. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning and also apologize to him for misidentifying you at the top of the show. But he was the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. As always, Pastor Boisclair, I love having you on the show. Thanks for being with us. And thank you as well. And may God bless all of us during this Lenten season. Thank you. Friends, I pray that you will have a wonderful weekend. Come back on Monday. We're going to take up Chapter 6. In that chapter, a beautiful confession by the Israelites is really exposed by God as merely superficial. The problem is they think that the judgment will be minor. They believe that by mere outward confession and rote sacrifice, they'll be spared. But through Hosea, God explains what he is looking for. That's steadfast love, not sacrifice. True faithfulness, not lip service. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.